So before we get into the episode, we want to let you know that we tried recording this on Friday in person and ran into some technical difficulties. So So we got like half of it. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to record the second half. But our setup is a little different than usual, (laughs) as in we're sitting in a hallway in our college and people may or may not be walking by. You may or may not hear elevators. And if there's a difference in sound quality, that is why. (laughs) On to the show. You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about friendship, and it's especially relevant to talk about this topic today because Sarah and I are recording in person for the first time ever. Yay! (laughs) First, though, let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's been happening with you? We're in Arkansas, and I am really excited about this weekend. So you just arrived Mm -hmm. just in time for this recording. Sure did. But we got in last night, so I've gotten to spend the morning walking around campus. We're here for our 10-year college reunion. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just great to be back. I've been feeling especially nostalgic. It's really fun to see our kids on the campus. Mm. And the campus itself is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot. And by thinking a lot, I mean today. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this. It was so ideal in so many ways, our time here, Mm -hmm. in terms of living in a place where everybody walked everywhere they needed to go Mm -hmm. and everything we needed was in this beautiful space and people weren't getting in their cars to go places and you didn't have roads going through it. Mm -hmm. And I liked that it was that way at the time, but I don't think I appreciated what an ideal scenario that was. Because as an adult living in a city it has such a different feel. And we live in a great neighborhood in Bloomington and have a lot of that neighborly interaction. And we walk and bike many places. But here, everyone was doing that. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about that from more of a co-housing transportation perspective, I just don't think I fully appreciated it at the time. Yeah. I had forgotten just how beautiful it is. And I think spring is an especially beautiful time at Hendrix just because everything is so green, that bright spring green. And so when we were driving in, I just was feeling so nostalgic. So what's been happening with me is getting here (laughs) and quite the adventure. So we are outside of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is about a 13 hour drive from Conway, Arkansas, where we are right now. And that's without stops. So if you were to go straight through and not hit any traffic, that's how long it would take you to get there. Which is not something you can do with a 14-month-old in your vehicle. So we left yesterday. The intention was to leave in the morning, but then it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So we left around 1230 yesterday and we got to my in-laws in Nashville around 930 p.m. Central Time, which means it took us 10 hours to drive. Mm -hmm. On that 10 hours, we... Sat in traffic for an hour, bumper to bumper traffic outside of Asheville. And Andrew got caught in a speed trap at the very end of a construction zone. Mm -hmm. So it was great to see my in-laws, though we only saw them very briefly. And then we got up this morning, got back in the car, and luckily Plum slept for a good portion of the ride. But when she wasn't sleeping, she was screaming. But now you're here. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, let's talk about what we've been reading. And actually, 
Sarah is the only one who's going to talk about what she's been reading because I haven't been reading anything because things feel way too crazy. So Sarah, over to you. I have been reading a YA trilogy. It's another dystopian trilogy in the same vein as the Divergent series or the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. And this one, I don't know what the actual trilogy name is, but the first one is Red Queen and it's by Victoria Aveyard. And the second one is called Glass Sword. And I'm almost done with the last one that's called King's Cage. Overall, I would say I give it a solid three stars at this point. It has been enjoyable to read. It's nice to escape into a fantasy series, especially after reading Hillbilly Elegy. It was Mm -hmm. just nice to do something totally different. But it's not a YA series that's going to stick with me. Mm -hmm. And it's not one I'm going to come back to. And I feel like the best YA books are ones that I want to come back to as Mm -hmm. an escape and where I want to reenter the world. And this one is very enjoyable, but it doesn't have that extra something that makes it really special. Mm -hmm. I think it feels very YA to me where the best books feel like they go beyond YA Mm -hmm. and there's something there for everyone. And this one feels more very much in the genre. Mm -hmm. The premise is that it is a dystopian future. It's set in the U.S., which I did not realize that (laughs) until the third book. So as I was going through, I love maps and books. I love to look at them. I like to reference them. I want to be able to visualize all the movements Mm -hmm. and where things are and situated in my head. And so I kept looking when I was reading Red Queen and Glass Sword. I kept looking for a map in the front or the back of the book. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't one. And that was really frustrating in and of itself. Well, then I get to the third book and there is a map in the front. And I had no idea this was actually the, the U.S. States. in the future. Yeah, Crazy. I didn't know. And there were things looking back. It's like, oh, okay, I see that. Like they call Philadelphia Delphi and they call <laughs> Massachusetts uh, Harbor Bay and they call Nantucket Tuck and all these things that I had a very different map in my head than the map <laughs> that there was in reality. And so it would have made a little more sense to me if I had had that map before. So if you read this series, just Google know. the map. Because it's really, it's interesting to see it. And Probably to really helpful in terms yeah. of getting into the world. Yes. So I wish that I had known that. And I feel like I would have thought a little differently about it as I was going through mm. if I had realized that it wasn't just this totally made up world. But the premise is that there are people called Silvers who have silver blood and they have special powers. Mm. And then there are people that are Reds that are regular human beings with red blood Mm -hmm. but then early on we discover that mare the main character is red-blooded but she also has special abilities Mm. and then we find out that there's more people like her as you go on and Hmm. there's court intrigue and people grappling for power and then also all these questions of who is superior should the silvers be ruling the reds should the reds rise up do silvers have redeeming qualities and lot of these questions of good and evil and when is it okay to kill somebody when is it not Mm -hmm. and trying to address those questions so would you recommend it I would recommend it if you know what you're getting into going in Mm -hmm. which is a YA dystopian trilogy there are parts where the main character is really frustrating especially in the second book Mm. and that's part of it that she's going through this growth process and that her opinions are changing and evolving as she's encountering these different situations. But it can be kind of trying to read a book when you are strongly disagreeing with choices the main character is making. Sure. And in the third book, they also do where they're alternating from different perspectives. 
So the first two books are all from Mare's perspective. Hmm. But in the third book, they start changing it. And it sort of bothers me. I like seeing the different perspectives. But at the same time, I feel like if the first two were just from her perspective, that the last one should be too. Yeah, it would have been nice to have it be consistent still. Yes. And that you should be able to tell the story all from one person's point of view. Yeah. If that's without resorting to switching narrators. Yeah, right. I hear you. So those are my thoughts on it. It's been fun to read, but... I will say this series shouldn't have taken me as long to read as it has because this is the kind of book that if I read it, I want to be gripped immediately and flying through the books. Right. And I did that with the first one. And the second one probably took me a week and a half to read. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is very long for a YA book. And then this third one has picked up again. Now let's move on to our topic for the date, which is friendship. Let's start off by talking about how we have made friends throughout our lives, starting with childhood. So Sarah, how did you make friends when you were young? In early elementary school, when I can start remembering how I made friends, I know I had lots of friends in the neighborhood that were kids the same age as us, and we spent a lot of time just playing in each other's backyards and at each other's houses. Mm -hmm. And there was a creek that ran through the back of our neighborhood. Ooh, fun. And we spent a lot of time there, probably more like later elementary school when we were doing that. Mm -hmm. And then in school, I remember always having one or two good friends in my class. I was pretty reserved Mm -hmm. in elementary school. I think at that point I would classify myself as shy. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember feeling lonely, that there was always somebody I was friends with. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't someone who had lots of friends or who was at the center of a lot of social circles. I just had one or two friends and that was what I liked and that's what I was comfortable with. And that made me pretty happy. Mm -hmm. And I feel really fortunate that my elementary school felt really accepting. Talking to some friends in junior high and high school, they had very different elementary school experiences. Interesting. Where a lot of the cliques had started younger. Oh, yeah. And paying more attention to what other kids are wearing and who's in and out and what's cool and what's not. Mm. And I think the culture of my elementary school just didn't foster that. I wasn't friends with everybody in my class, but I... It didn't feel like anyone was excluded. Right. It felt very open and looking back back and hearing other people's experiences, I realized that that was maybe not unique. And I'm sure there were other places like that, but Mm -hmm. it made me feel fortunate that I had such a great elementary school experience. Nice. And then the other place in elementary school that I had friends was through church and friends that I interacted with there. And I don't think any of my friends through church went to my elementary school. Mm. So it was nice to meet kids from different parts of the city Mm -hmm. and that I wouldn't have met otherwise. That was my experience in elementary school too. And I did have a good friend in the neighborhood who moved away when I was little, probably third grade or younger. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling really sad about that. But I did have friends in elementary school and probably a couple stronger ones, though I think I did experience a little bit more of that cliquishness Mm -hmm. as we got older, that it came in a little bit sooner elementary school wise. And I mean, there were things like... In fifth grade, there were cheerleader tryouts. Interesting. For elementary school? Yeah, because I think there was peewee football. So then there was cheerleading. I mean, Texas. Right. (laughs) What can you expect? (laughs) But things like groups started to kind of stratify along those lines. And so I really appreciated having friends from elsewhere. So having friends that were family friends. Mm -hmm. So friends you know, who our parents were friends. And so we were friends because of that. And so we saw them 
And I also really liked having church friends and having friends from activities. Like when we talked about sports, I really liked having friends from those that didn't know sort of the social landscape of elementary school so that I could escape that. I think I've always enjoyed that as well because I also had friends through gymnastics Mm -hmm. and church and even neighborhood friends who actually didn't go to my elementary school. Okay. And so I had some of that through those friends as well. And I think I like that all the way through, even as an adult. In mm-hmm. college, I really liked having friends who weren't involved in Ultimate because so much of our social life was around that. Right. And it was nice to have people who just didn't give a flip about <laughs> what was happening with or that. Or thought it was weird, right? That it's like really refreshing yes. to have someone who's in a completely different space. And they just see, like you're saying, they see a different side of you. It's just nice not to feel so pegged, mm-hmm. like that there's, you exactly. have multiple facets and that having these different friends who see different parts of you reinforces that idea mm-hmm. that you're not just one thing. Yeah. So in middle school, did you experience any of the clickish stuff? Did that start to come in? Middle school was a hard time. Yes. <laughs> which it is for everyone. <laughs> and in our school district, sixth and seventh grade were middle school. Mm-hmm. And then eighth and ninth grade were junior high. Okay. And then high school was 10 through 12. And middle school was a new thing that they built the middle schools pretty close to when I went in. I think my sister was the first class to be in the middle schools that before there were just elementary and then junior high. And I remember going in and I remember it being hard because I had one good friend from third through fifth grade Mm. and we were really close and we were put in different teams, Mm. which meant we had no classes or any interactions with each other. Yeah. And that was really hard because I am somebody who has a few close friends Mm -hmm. and that was a big adjustment for me going in. I remember being a little perplexed by the social landscape Mm -hmm. and by the clicks and thinking, why does everybody care what clothes you're wearing? And just finding it strange that that was important. Mm -hmm. I think it was in sixth grade. I remember not eating lunch in the cafeteria Mm. and eating lunch with some friends in one of our teacher's classroom. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that was great to not be in that cafeteria environment, that that felt very overwhelming to me. Totally. And so it's like, great, I have a couple friends and I'm going to be able to just eat lunch with them Mm -hmm. instead of, and I didn't do that all the time. I remember eating in the cafeteria a lot. It didn't seem strange to me at the time. And now looking back on it, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how that exactly came to be and like what all the pieces of that were. Yeah. But I think there were some challenges for me in middle school with, you know, everybody is trying to navigate that new environment and they're changing too. Right. And feeling some of that loss of friendships that I had in elementary school that mm-hmm. waned during those years. Yeah. Both because of people changing and because of just the the fact that we were never had class together. Yeah. And that I remember being really hard, but I don't remember being lonely. Hmm. You know, I don't remember it being a bad time for me in that way. So I look back on it and I think, those weren't the years where I had the most flourishing of friendships, mm-hmm. but you were okay. It I was okay. Like yeah. yeah, I was okay. And I think part of that is having the other friends through church. Mm-hmm. I still had gymnastics things happening. Yeah. And then it was in junior high where that, which are still those kind of middle school years, mm-hmm. where I feel like I started to really find my people that I'm still friends with today and that I really connect with. But those sixth and seventh grade years, I would say, were the, the hardest years for me friendship-wise in school. Yeah. So I really experienced the girl click thing. Mm -hmm. And there was a group of five of us. We were in band together. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of this constant back and forth of like, are you coming to her house on Friday? Oh, you weren't invited. Mm. We did this thing 
where we took band pictures and we could be in each other's pictures, but there was a limited number of people that you could pick to be in your pictures. And so the question was like, were they going to pick me? And just all of that was so hurtful. Yeah. So I had that group of friends that was just really fraught and a lot of crying. And then I had this other group of friends. Most of them were in theater, but I had chosen band rather than theater, but they were just wonderful and kind. And those were the friends that I stayed friends with through high school. And so I don't know what it was about those band girl friendships that I felt like I wanted to keep being friends with them, even though I was often unhappy. But that was rough. Were they friends that you had been friends with before? Or was it you found them during that time? Most of the friends that I had in elementary school were not still friends in middle school. It wasn't like we hated each other after that, but it was sort of like I I moved from like one group of sort of like cliquish, meanish people into Mm -hmm. another one to sort of got caught up in that again. But it wasn't the same from elementary school. There was one friend from elementary school that carried through to this group of mean girls in middle school. And then she also carried through to a group of mean girls in high school. She and I had a big falling out in ninth or 10th grade, where I remember so clearly where we were in high school on the second floor of my building outside of English. And she looked at me and she said, we have never been friends, which is just awful, devastating. Because yes, we had, we had been really close since third or fourth grade and had gone through all these iterations with all these different people. And I still don't know quite where it came from. Yeah. But I do think that that moment was a moment of freedom for me in that friendship that made me be like, you know what, I'm just opting out. And so the rest of high school was me connecting in deeper ways to this group of people who were in theater. And I was in theater at that point. And I mean, just ended up being a really great group to be in high school with and have one really dear friendship still from that group. So it's interesting how those things evolve mm-hmm. and that I might have just sort of, if it hadn't been so bad, I might have just stuck with the status quo. Right. Like all through high school and not found the step, the friendship that I feel like I really had toward the end of high school. And the other thing related to having friends outside of school that that made me do was push me to make friends in outside activities. So I ended up joining a citywide youth orchestra and had a lot of friends through that, which was awesome. What were friendships like in high school for you? High school was great. There are a handful of people I'm still friends with and still keep in touch with from high school. And I think it was a benefit of being in a large high school that there were the kids who considered themselves to be the popular crowd. Mm -hmm. But by the time we got to high school, I feel like most people just thought, they were done with that mm-hmm. and they can be popular and they can be worried about that. But the rest of us have better things to do and we can find people we like hanging out with. Yeah. That there was less striving, mm-hmm. at least among the people I was around, that it felt very much like, okay, you guys keep doing what you're doing and we're going to do what we're doing. Right. And I'm not sure how to categorize the group of people I was friends with. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was ever part of a, a group in high school, but I had many individual close friendships. Mm-hmm which I think was nice to be able to span groups in that way. Mm -hmm. And 
they ebbed and flowed throughout high school. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with who you're in class with, right? Right. Who you see the most often, you get closer to them. Mm -hmm. And then if the next year you end up not having as many classes with them, things change. And not because of any falling out, but just because of the proximity. Exactly. And it was a group of friends that just like to be silly together, Mm -hmm. I would say. And playing cranium on the weekends and a very... (laughs) wholesome fun I would say (laughs) I definitely was having wholesome fun yes with my friends too (laughs) and that was great so I just felt very accepted by people in high school and had that core of people I was close to Mm -hmm. and then also through doing swimming and diving had friends that were just outside of all of that Mm -hmm. and doing cross country and that was nice too yeah I like what you said about the different groups because sort of the last two years of high school transitioning into college, the friends that I still keep in touch with were sort of the people that I felt most connected to in all the different groups. So Mm -hmm. a couple theater friends here, a couple who were sort of like orchestra and choir people. Yeah. And it definitely was not all sunshine and roses. I remember one friendship in particular that she was ready to move on from Mm -hmm. being friends with me and I was really close to her. And now I feel like I have learned that it's okay to be really good friends with somebody and then things change and Mm -hmm. you're not. And that doesn't invalidate the closeness that you had before. Right. And I feel like I held on too tightly in high school in a way that I let myself be consumed by those emotions. Mm -hmm. And then I was also pulling her into that and putting pressure on her to deal with my emotions in a way that wasn't fair that it's fine if she was ready to go in a different direction Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't necessarily anything against me Mm -hmm. and I was making it a lot about me. Yeah. I think it's hard not to, right? We don't talk a whole lot about how to let relationships gracefully end, right? You know, if we had coaching in that area, like this friend who it was Mm -hmm. so hurtful to me, who we had what felt like this huge dramatic moment, if she had just been like, look, I don't feel like we're as close as we used to be. And these are the reasons why. And I can't keep pretending like I feel this closeness with you. Right. You know, that would have been hurtful to me, but in a really different way. Yeah. And she's somebody who I've reconnected with now as an adult. And that feels great. You know, that we have the shared history that was Mm -hmm. wonderful. And I, I just didn't have the perspective as a 15, 16 year old to zoom out and look at the big picture that you're just so in it. And every week and month is an eternity at that point. Right. And now at the wise old age of 32, (laughs) I have much more perspective. So I can look back fondly on that and still be friends with her when our paths cross. Yeah. Those years aren't big on perspective. No, they're not. So how about now? As an adult, Sarah, how have you made friends? So that's something that I feel like I've had to learn Mm -hmm. that all growing up, you're in school and you have numerous opportunities to be interacting with people that you can be friends with Mm -hmm. through activities and your classes. And then in college, it's the same thing. We all came here and lived together. It was easy to make friends. Yeah. You're just surrounded by people all the time. Right. So much of our, our lives at Hendrix were interacting with people and building relationships. Once I went out into into the real world, <laughs> it was much harder. So in graduate school, it was similar where I was put in situations where I could meet people. Right. But then after we left graduate school, there were fewer of those scenarios. Mm-hmm. That it I was, mean, you don't have a cohort right. for adulthood. Right. 
I think it wasn't until after HP was born. I definitely had friends before he was born when we lived in Austin and I made friends when we lived in Columbia as Mm -hmm. we were waiting to move. But it felt much slower Mm -hmm. that it took much longer. Yeah. And I think that's just a natural thing of making friends as an adult, that since you're not with each other 24-7, it takes longer to get as close as it did when you were with people. Yeah, because if you see need a certain amount of like friendship hours, hanging out hours, right. you get them really fast <laughs> in college or graduate school even. Right. But less so when you have <laughs> yeah. full-time jobs and outside responsibilities. Yep. But after HP was born, the first part felt fairly isolating where I'm home with a young child, I was the first of a lot of people I knew to have kids. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure many new parents feel, it's just different too. If you're the first among your friends to have kids, then you're the one charting new territory mm-hmm. and your life looks different. And it's not that you can't maintain the old friendships, but that. But they just don't necessarily serve you as well right? anymore. And it's like, maybe you could maintain them, but do you even really want to? Because the things that you were doing before as friends whatever it was maybe you don't want to do them or maybe they're not accessible to you with a baby or just that you need something else too Mm -hmm. that it's not that I didn't want to still be friends with the people that I had known before but that I I needed something else Mm -hmm. I needed people who really understood my day-to-day and I had friends who were happy to listen to it but it's different to listen to it than to live it Mm -hmm. so I remember that summer just feeling overwhelmed by the heat in Texas (laughs) Yeah. You're home with a child who's napping two or three times a day. Mm -hmm. And so my schedule is limited by that. As a car-free family, that first year is really hard when he couldn't be on a bike. So we were taking the bus everywhere that we needed to go or walking. Yeah. And I remember getting to a point when he was about a year and just thinking, no one's going to call me up to ask to be my friend. I have to be the one (laughs) who is putting myself out there. Yeah. And that was a great revelation to me. It's not that people aren't wanting to hang out with me, but everybody else is also just waiting for someone to invite them to do something. Right. Or they're so busy that they don't even think to do that. Right. So I joined a mom's meetup group and a lot of the meetups didn't work for me because at that point, HP had dropped his afternoon nap and Mm -hmm. not his morning nap, which is the opposite of a lot of people's schedule where they're ready to get together in the morning. And so I started creating my own meetups that worked for my schedule so that I can meet people. Through that group? Yes. Nice. And then I also started just being more socially assertive. Mm -hmm. And so if I saw a mom at the park, I would stop and talk to her, which I would do before. But I would ask for her number and follow up if I felt like we had a good connection. I love it. And that's how I met one of my closest friends in Austin was I met her at the library and asked for her number. And we hung out at the park the next day when I invited her. And I felt like we just really clicked. Mm -hmm. And we started hanging out multiple times a week. So I think that was huge for me to just realize other adults are also looking for friends. Mm -hmm. But somebody has to be the one to ask. Somebody has to be the one to actually set something up to go do. Yeah. Because you really have to plan and coordinate. I'm not going to happen to see them. Or maybe if I do, it's going to be six months in the future. Right. If I want to see them sooner than that. If you want to actually build a friendship with them, you have to instigate. Right. So that was huge for me in terms of making friends as an adult. And I feel like has served me well moving and gave me a lot of confidence moving to Bloomington that I could and would make friends. Mm -hmm. And I did. Because you'd done it before. Mm -hmm. Nice. So moving to North Carolina after graduate school had a similar feeling of moving to Nashville after college, but Mm -hmm. without 
the graduate school cohort to sort of be built in and have friends. And that was a really hard move. And I also was doing really intense writing work. I was an editorial intern, which meant that I was full-time writing and it was a virtual newsroom. So I was in my house and only talking to people on Skype or writing alone. So it was very isolating. And what pulled me out of it was this yoga school where I started going, I think at 6 a.m., to a 6 a.m. class on Tuesday and Thursday morning. And I just remember the relief of the teacher who was this very outgoing, hyper affectionate woman. Every time I would come, she would give me a big hug. She'd be like, Abby, I'm so glad to see you. How are you? And it was just so wonderful to feel seen in that way to the point where, I mean, I would cry when she would greet me because I was so lonely and I was working so much and by myself so much that it was awesome. And really because of her, I decided to do a yoga teacher training at that school. And that basically gave me a cohort. So then I had this built-in group of people that I saw um, once a month or more for a year. And I have some of my dearest friends through the yoga school. And then the other thing that really helped um, was getting out of the house and getting a job that wasn't you know, a work from home job where you can see people every day. Yeah. And so I don't think I had quite the same revelation as you in terms of being an adult and having to make friends in having to do it so much myself. Yeah. I really admire actually that you like took it upon yourself so much. Thanks. To find friends. So now, even though I'm home with Plum, I have the connections already. And the other thing which is how we made parent friends, is that we took this birth class Mm -hmm. with people, most of whom were having their first baby, most of whom were similar sort of life stages as us. Like they had just been graduate students or they were just starting their first job. So it was sort of a similar place that we were starting out. And I still see friends that we made in that group once a week. I think what was so hard about making friends after HP was born is that we moved to our house just three weeks before he was born. Mm -hmm. So I felt more connected in the neighborhood we were in before. Right. And I'm glad we bought the house when we did. And there were a lot of good things about it, but it made me feel a little uprooted. Yeah. At that point, we'd only been in Austin for a year. So we didn't feel that rooted to start with. Right. But even the connections that we had, we just felt farther from when we made them move. And you were. And the transportation thing was a part of it, too. Right. Because if you could have plopped HP in the car and driven across town, maybe it would have felt different. I think it would have. And that's one reason why we moved, which we talked about in the housing episode. But we moved to be more central, where it was easier to walk and see friends. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we had stayed in the neighborhood we were in before, if I would have struggled quite as much as I did. Hmm. That I think it was more isolating to be in the new house. Yeah. And there were benefits to it, but there were some pretty big drawbacks. At the same time, when I look at it, I think that's also the reason that it really pushed me to make those changes that I think in some ways I would have kind of just gone along with With it for a while. Just like me in high school. Exactly. I really remember just thinking, no one's calling me up. I have to ask people and not in a self-pitying way, just we're all adults, you know, that this is different and I need to act different. I need to do something different to get a different result instead of just, I think that's kind of the the blessing and curse of how easy it is to to communicate in this day and age too, that I had a lot of close friendships that I could rely on, but they weren't there and that's different too. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was leaning a little bit too heavily on out of town friends when I needed to be creating a community where I was. Yeah. 
maybe this is a good time to talk about how you continue friendships. What does that look like in your life? Like, how close are you to people who you aren't in physical proximity to? I think part of it is that as we go through life, we're accumulating friends that we have friends from high school, friends from childhood, from college, from study abroad, from our graduate school, and it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And we can't keep in perfect touch with all of those people. Because if we were doing that, we wouldn't be able to, to have relationships where we are. I think I've come to a place where I can appreciate the friendship for what it was and its importance to me at the time, but not need to hold on so tightly, which allows both people in the friendship to be where they are. And it's not that I'm not keeping in touch with people that, I mean, we keep in great touch. Yes. And I have other friends like that too, but I feel like I have many more now where it is so wonderful when we see each other and when we have the opportunity to connect. Mm -hmm. I'm really feeling that this weekend with seeing all of our friends and there's people I haven't talked to in years and it's so wonderful to be together again, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we need to be having phone conversations on a weekly or monthly basis right. for that relationship to still hold value or to still be special and important. Mm-hmm. So in the book, MWF Seeking BFF, which I think is by Rachel Birch, it's a memoir. I was reading your Goodreads review, Sarah, and you mm -hmm. said, it's another one of those, let me do this thing for a year and then write a book about it books. It is. Yes. And those vary in how valuable they are to me. But the premise is this woman, Rachel, moves to Chicago to be with her fiance and she doesn't have any friends. She just has her romantic partner and she realizes that's not enough. And so then she goes through all this stuff about what we need in friendship and how to make friends. And she catalogs her year of going on a friend date like every week or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that really stuck with me from that book is that she talks about friend research and that there are numbers of friends that you need mm -hmm. and that most people have. So most people and I'm guessing at the numbers because I don't remember exactly. But most people need two to seven very close friends. And then the circle widens a little bit. And it's friends like that you see at church, but you don't necessarily hang out with them outside of that. And then it widens more to people you would call. Maybe you were friends in college, but you don't see each other lately. And so they still count as friends. And then it widens again. Mm -hmm. But I found that really affirming in terms of you don't have to be that best close friend with all of those people, that there is a role that contributes to your happiness and that everyone is sort of balancing all the time. And that all the relationships are valuable. You still need those other friends too. You still need right. to feel connected in your community when you're having those acquaintances that you run into and can chat about maybe not the most serious things, but that's, that's still an important mm -hmm. part of your social life. Right. I read that book after I had the revelation about I just need to start asking people to do things if I mm -hmm. want to start making friends in the same phase of life that I'm in. And so that happened to me that summer when the summer in Texas just whew, pushes you to make some new conclusions about your life. <laughs> but then I read it right at the start of the next year. So in January and that it was really validating for things that I had been feeling. And mm -hmm. I'd already met some great people just by talking to them at the park and following up with them and being the one to set things up. And reading that book made me want to do it even more mm -hmm. because she was trying to go on a friend date with somebody every week. But her experience was 
almost no one said no. Almost everybody was so happy that she was inviting them to do something. Right. And when and you're willing at, to do it. Yes. That you're at yoga class with people and you think, oh, I, you know, I think we'd have a great connection. I'd love to chat with them. But mm-hmm. somebody has to initiate that and that she learned that most people want you to be the one to initiate it. Mm-hmm. And that was really affirming for me and gave me a lot of confidence going into social situations, just thinking they're wanting to make a connection to Right. And if nothing else, I think she says this in the book, they'll be flattered that you asked. Yes. Even if they say no, most people they are might very just say no, thank you. It. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if they're busy a few times, you just get the hint and <laughs> move on. Read social cues. Yes. <laughs> so I found that book really valuable about just how to make friends as an adult. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep in touch with friends that are not in your geographic area? It's definitely changed a little bit because just out of college, I did a lot of very long emails with close friends Mm. and even through college that I had a couple friends and we would just exchange very lengthy emails on a frequent basis. That's super time consuming. It is. But it's also really nice to be able to go back and read them. Oh, I bet. And when I studied abroad, I loved getting long emails from friends Mm because I could read them again. And then I was really big on talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. After we got out of college, I had several friends and we had long conversations regularly. <laughs> In fact, some of those conversations are the inspiration for this podcast. Indeed. I think we talked about this on the last episode with personality, but mm. since having kids, I just I only have that time in the evening and talking on the phone feels draining to me, yeah. even though I love it. I love having those conversations, but I really still need that hour to read a book and just be with Neil in the evenings. Mm-hmm. So I've been talking on the phone much less than I used to. And a recent discovery of mine is Voxer, which I learned about from Kelsey of the Girl Next Door podcast. And you and I use that as our main mode of communication now. And it's so great for when we have kids because we can leave each other a message at our convenience. Mm -hmm. And some afternoons we're going back and forth as though we're actually talking a phone conversation. But then the good thing about it is I can always say, okay, got to go. My baby's screaming. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we've set up time to talk on the phone. And if I have something else going on, I can't give my full attention to you or I can't give my full attention to that other thing, whether it's parenting or work or whatever. Yeah. I also had a great high school friend. And in college, we used to leave each other really long voicemail messages Mm -hmm. to the point where we'd get cut off and keep leaving them for each other. And this reminds me of that, where you're just leaving each other very long messages talking about but what do you get you get 15 minutes Mm -hmm. before you get cut off in the free boxer Mm -hmm. so it's like way longer than the four minutes that are on a it is voicemail in your cell phone but i have a friend like that too a dear friend from nashville that we would just leave each other really long voicemails and i think it's something that is just so suited to this phase of life and Mm -hmm. i can see myself going back to regular phone conversations later maybe maybe not but That's been a great way to keep in touch with people. Mm -hmm. I've gone through email phases too, especially with friends who were abroad. So I've talked about this before, but we have friends that did a year long around the world trip. We did a lot of emails with them for that. You're my only friend that does Voxer with me. I've tried to get other people on board, but it hasn't worked yet. So Mm. maybe it will at some point. Yeah. And I really love FaceTime. I have a couple friends that when we talk, that's how we try to talk because it feels so nice to be face to face. And I remember right after we moved to North Carolina and I didn't have any friends, it was so nice to be able to keep in touch with actually seeing people. Yeah. I did a decent amount of Skyping 
when I was in Switzerland and mm-hmm. I felt that same. It was really nice to see yeah. somebody. The kids FaceTime with their grandparents sometimes, but it's not something I do with my friends very often. Hmm. So the other thing is, I really love all the technology we have available and how easy it is. Mm -hmm. I think that that has allowed friendships that were different when we were in person to change. So I feel that a lot with my dear friend from high school. We both have grown in similar ways. And the technology that's available has allowed us to deepen our friendship in a way that we might have if we'd been in the same place, but because we weren't we had to rely on these other things. So that was really awesome. Yeah. And I think we can say the same thing about our relationship. That Definitely. We were friends at Hendrix. I mean, yeah. I think you were my first friend at Hendrix yep. that we met that very first week of school. But we always each had closer friendships while we were there, mm-hmm. that we ran in the same circle. We knew each other. We were friends. But we didn't get really close until we left Hendrix. Yeah. And that our relationship is one where it's continued to grow and that our values and life experiences have aligned, have really paralleled each other. Yeah. And I think with some friends, I've drifted since college and not in a bad way, but mm-hmm. it's been great to also have the opposite that happens where we've gotten closer as yeah, time goes on. A deepening of the friendship. Yes. It's really nice. Let's finish up by talking about the importance of friendship in our lives now. I would say especially since becoming a parent, but I really feel like especially since becoming an adult where we're much more responsible, where there aren't those easy ways yeah, to the make proximity friends. friends. Yes. That I've been really conscious of needing to have that network outside of my marriage, especially. Mm-hmm. And I'm very cognizant of not putting it all on Neil. And that there's so much value to having a network of people who are supporting you and that you can rely on. And not that I am not relying on Neil, but that I feel like that's too much for anybody to take. Yeah, you don't need to put everything on your spouse. Right. It's just setting yourself up for disappointment if you do that. It is. And sometimes it provides more support when you have more you know, spokes on that wheel mm-hmm. of people that you can rely on and that are offering different things as well, understanding different aspects of it. And- Neil and I are both so in things that are happening related to our kids. You're very close to it. Yes. That it's great to get some different perspective too Mm -hmm. through these different relationships and friendships. And sometimes when I've been exhausted and feel like I don't have a lot of time to myself, I've still prioritized maintaining those ties because I know that that is just so important Mm -hmm. and We're all moving through these different phases of adulthood Mm -hmm. and graduate school had its own stresses and its own constraints and new parenthood and moving Mm -hmm. did. But that maintaining that contact, even when it felt overwhelming to me at times, it's just so important to to make that one of the things that I am using my free time for. Mm -hmm. And then those are the friends who are supporting you through those transitions and that they just get it because they've been hearing about it. Yeah. That support piece is the importance of friendship in my life because, and this is true for you guys too, that we live somewhere without family close. Yes. So when I had appendicitis six weeks postpartum, we had a good friend that we could call to come stay with Plum until my mom got there so that Andrew could be there while I was going into surgery. Yeah. And that to me is the value of friendship is that you commit to each other in a way that you do in a romantic relationship too, but you make, you know, a family level commitment to your people. And then it's a covenant that you'll be there for each other. 
Yes. And I felt that so much after the birth of both my children is Mm -hmm. just that support and love from the people around us. And both times we were in Austin, as you said, away from family. Mm -hmm. And with E, I was diagnosed with preeclampsia and had to go into the hospital and be induced. Mm -hmm. And that all happened very rapidly. Mm -hmm. When I think back on those days and that week, the the love that I felt from our friends and our community there and the way that people came together for us is it still makes me emotional thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel so fortunate to have been able to create those kind of communities as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really special. Yeah. I think that's all we have to say about friendship. Listeners, we would love to hear the importance of friendship in your life, how friendships have changed over the course of your life and how you keep in touch with your friends. Our recommendation is to start a podcast together. (laughs) Yeah, because then you'll be talking to each other all the time. (laughs) Also, if you want to vox with us, let us know. (laughs) We love voxing. I only have one voxer friend. And and it's it's Sarah. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to talk about what we've been eating. I've been eating cheese fries. And really, this is nothing new for me. I would say if you were to ask five of my friends, what is my favorite bar food? Mm -hmm. At least four out of five of them would say cheese fries. I think you talked about cheese fries in our very first episode, talking about eating in the cafeteria and how you would make your own cheese fries. (laughs) Well, maybe I'll do that today because we're going to lunch in the cafeteria. But last night we were in downtown Little Rock at a class party and there were cheese fries on the menu and they were called surprise cheese fries. Mm. And the surprise was there was chili con queso underneath them. Oh, so it really didn't tell you on the menu item? No. <laughs> I did not realize that. Yeah. So they were delicious. So I have a non-lentil recipe this week. You're <laughs> welcome, <laughs> listeners who don't like lentils. They're sad. They love lentils. That's the only reason they're listening to our show. It's still a vegetarian recipe. I've been trying my hand at making some Indian food at home. So I think a couple episodes ago, I talked about making the lentil Indian dish mm-hmm. and Through that rabbit hole of Googling, I found a vegetable korma recipe and made it when my sister was here. I would say I have not perfected it yet, that there are a few things I would change. Mm -hmm. But I found it, I believe it was from Wanderlust Kitchen. Hmm. And part of how you make it is you put cashews and some other things in the blender and Mm -hmm. blend that together. And that helped make it really creamy Mm. is to have the blended cashews. And then a lot of spices coconut milk and lots of vegetables yeah and it was good I would say to me it felt a little heavy on the spice Hmm. not that it was hot but that it felt almost grainy yeah like just a little bit too much so I think I might either double everything else next time Ooh, do that and then keep the spices the same or half the spices but it was really good I felt very fancy because it was more steps than usual doing it. Oh, sure. Especially blending up the sauce. So I felt like I was really putting on a show for my sister while she was here. I hope she appreciated it. She did. But yeah, I recommend it. I think that's all for this episode of Friendlier. Abby, it's been great talking with you in person. It has. And with all of you listeners virtually. You can join the conversation online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And we also wanted to say thank you to all of the people we learned are listening to this show at our reunion and to those of you who have left a rating and review on iTunes. Also be sure to check out our new amazing paper cut logo that our friend Katie made for us. 
Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. I think before we were talking about how do we actually keep in touch with the friends oh, yeah. that we have, and we got a little bit sidetracked. Well, who knows what we were talking about before <laughs> right. we had technical it was difficulties. two days ago. And a lot has happened since then. So let's go back to that. Okay. I found... <laughs> this is going great. It's going great, Abby. <laughs> we're almost done. Just push through. <laughs> What has been happening with me? I don't know. (laughs) And I have nothing else to say about it. So we'll just cut this part that I just said. And thank you to all the people who listened to me tell you about the podcast last night at our party. And your conversations, friendly. Can I say friendly again? I think I said friendly.